This is the Baywell Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we are joined by Kat Armas, author of Abuelita Faith. Her earliest theological formation came from her grandmother and ultimately inspired her to tell the stories of those we find on the margins. She teaches people to reflect on the Abuelitas in their lives and shows us how to live out this kind of faith on a daily basis. So, Kat, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. And if you want to add anything at all to my introduction, that is a very condensed uh, <laughs> version of uh, what you're all about. So um, tell us a little more about yourself in your own words. Sure. So um, I received a Master of Divinity and a Master of Arts in Theology from Fuller Seminary uh, a couple years ago. Uh, and I'm currently at Vanderbilt studying now under uh, Dr. Segovia um, and kind of focusing on post-colonial biblical studies. And, and things like that, which, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, I'm also a new mom. And so I've just been, you know, figuring out this whole raising a human thing, which has been so hard and so fun and just so completely life-changing. So, um, yeah, just trying to get my bearings as I continue to move forward and just my work. I also finished uh, the manuscript to my second book. So um, just doing some, some, taking some time off after a lot of writing and a lot of studying. That's beautiful. I, somebody linked uh, something you, you tagged or something, somebody said, Hey, Kat just mentioned Bema and she's a really cool voice. You ought to check this out. So I remember jumping over on Twitter and finding some stuff and thinking, man, I, I think at that point, maybe you were, and maybe you still do do some freelance writing with some, mm -hmm. um, different magazines and journals and that kind of stuff. And I was like, Oh, this is really great. I love this. And so I've been following you from a distance cap. This is the first <laughs> time we've gotten to actually chat today. Um, and just really, yeah, I've just really enjoyed, I've, I've been learning from you and you've been <laughs> you. teaching me so much and it's been, um, just been really good and refreshing. And, and I know other people, students of mine have been connected and influenced by your work and it's just been super good. So can you, can you tell us Kat a little bit about, um, what you do? Like you do a lot of things, but tell us about kind of like what you do and how that, uh, intersects with what the world needs. What's this intersection between who, cat is and what God's doing in the world. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, and thank you so much for your just encouraging words. So I think, you know, actually you and I do a lot of the same things in that I, I really want to make theology, spirituality, the Bible um, accessible, right? I want folks, uh, particularly folks in my community, uh, you know, I'm Cuban American, originally from Miami. And so I speak very much through that lens um, as someone who was raised as my culture being the dominant culture, you know, uh, being a Cuban from Miami means that, you know, the pr uh, predominantly uh, most of the people who um, surrounded me growing up were Cuban American, or if not Latino, Latina, Latine. Uh, and so, yeah, so I, I really, I think it's important to make theology um, accessible to folks and, and just um, kind of in, invite folks into what it means to read the Bible or um, understand their faith through the lens of my people or my culture, um, you know, which is going to look different and and it's going to feel different. It's going to land differently um, than maybe the way that many of us were taught in seminaries, you know, including myself. You know, I have a couple degrees. I, I've been to seminary and that's really where a lot of this was sparked from. It just, I felt like 
um, most of my classes and a lot of what I was learning, just I, I, I didn't resonate with it. You know, I felt further mm. from God mm. after mm. taking, you know, Bible classes and taking all these sort of theology classes. I literally felt like I knew, you know, I, I didn't, I feel, I felt like I knew God less, right? Um, yes. So, yeah, so I, I feel like I feel really passionate about um, communicating sort of, you know, just my, you know, the lens through which I understand God and the lens through which I understand, understand scripture and, and communicating that to folks. And I've done that in different ways. You know, I, I've worked actually in campus ministry. I did that for a little bit and, and, you know, connecting with uh, the Latino community there. I've also worked with young folks. I've worked, um, uh, I was employed at the Fuller Youth Institute. And so I did some writing there. Um, and right now, yeah, I'm just continuing to write and research and create content um, for my community, but not, you know, predominantly, not only for my community, but for just the general folks who are interested in learning about God through a different perspective. I didn't know about that campus ministry overlap. I kind of, yeah. I, I sensed that. I knew that there was something <laughs> there. So really yeah. interesting to know that. And we have more conversations we could have about that. That's excellent. Yeah. No, that would be great. Yeah. So as far as your uh, Cuban background, like I'm not familiar with Cuba at all. And I can't really, you know, truly say that I've been to Miami. I've, I have technically been there, but <laughs> I can't really say that. Like what, what makes it distinct from maybe other uh, Latin cultures that, um, you know, maybe, maybe people are more familiar with Mexico because they've, right. I mean, not that you really necessarily get that when you vacation there necessarily, but like maybe some people are familiar with other, yeah. uh, other communities, but, but what makes, um, your Cuban culture or your Cuban American culture distinct? Uh, and I don't even know if I'm equipped to understand the distinctions, but, um, tell me a little bit about that and like what you, what you think that brings to your work. Yeah, and that's a great question because I do feel like a lot of folks in the, you know, Latinx community, we do get lumped into like Latinx or, you know, Latinos. Mm. And, you know, we yeah. are all so vastly different. Um, you know, so I come from a Caribbean culture. So, you know, um, Cubans and Puerto Ricans and Dominicans, you know, a lot of us, we kind of have, we kind of stick to like our own sort of Caribbean feel and, and you know, with the um, very tropical like, I mean, obviously Miami, you know, Miami is called the, the Latin American capital of, of the U.S., you know, it's, um, I know many folks kind of know it as, as that. Um, and also Cuba just has like a very, very complicated history. Um, you know, and I, I talk about this in Abuelita Faith, and I try not to go into too much detail because um, I, when I say too much detail, I just mean too much political, you know, sort of talk about Cuba because it is, I mean, it's very polarized. Um, you know, my family, they, uh, they, you know, they left Cuba in the height of the Castro Revolution. And, um, you know, my family was not rich by any means when they left, um, but they were part of the fortunate people that were able to leave when they did. And then when they got to Miami, um, you know, Miami was a haven for a lot of um, Cuban immigrants and a lot of exile, a, a lot of people, you know, folks who were who were leaving um, and a lot of folks during that time. And, you know, the U.S. welcomed them with open arms because they loved, you know, the anti-communist rhetoric. And, you know, they they were like, yes, this fits into what we're, you know, what, where we're at right now. And so um, compared to a lot of other um, immigrant communities, Cubans were very much um, welcomed into the U.S. during that time. Um, and so my family is very much, you know, they have very strong views about, um, you know, what they believe. And they're very thankful to the U.S., which, you know, granted, 
course, you know, I would, any, anyone would be. Um, but yeah, so it just, the, the Cuban history, again, it's just very complicated. There's just a lot um, that goes into that. You know, I talk in Aulita Faith, I talk about empire and how, you know, empire sort of um, puts folks in vulnerable situations and then convinces them that only they can save them from their vulnerability. And I feel like that's a lot of what happened uh, to, you know, Cuba and to the Cuban people, you know, in regard to the U.S., you know, like we are, we are the empire. We are going to put you in a vulnerable position, but look, we saved you. So therefore, you know, you must worship us. Right. Um, And so, yeah, so it's just very complicated. Um, But Miami and specifically, I mean, it is just like, Everyone who raised me, everyone who I knew, everyone who all of my teachers, all everyone, you know, was part of my community, right? They spoke Spanish. I was raised, you know, Spanish is my first language and I ate only my food from my culture, you know, and, and that was all I knew. And it wasn't until I left Miami as an adult, you know, and I moved to the South that I realized, wait a minute, my culture is not the dominant culture, right? Um, it was in that very small bubble that was Miami, but it's not like this everywhere else, right? And that was the first time that I was really met with, um, you know, just the, the demons of ethno-racism. Um, and and um, and also, you know, I was raised by a single mother and a single grandmother, and so um, all of a sudden, I I'm put into a, a you know I'm I'm taken out of that context where you know women were very much um, celebrated and supported because there was no choice but to be right. I mean, my mother and my grandmother, as single mm, women, yeah. they were mother and father, and they raised me um, to be you know confident and independent and all of these things. Um, so all of a sudden I get, you know, I leave that sort of bubble that I was raised in and I arrive in a culture where that's not the norm, right? Um, women have to very much um, be a certain way and act a certain way and, and submit a certain way. And so there was a lot of different um, cultural shocks and, and you know, I, I experienced a lot of different, um, yeah, just, just a shock when I left Miami um, because I'm a woman, because I was Cuban um, and just, yeah, c- kind of coming to terms with, okay, so what does it mean to be me um, outside of my bubble? Um, and by bubble, I just mean outside of where my culture is, the dominant culture. Man, I feel like we could talk about that for another two uh, hours. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say there's a lot in there, but that <laughs> right. empire bit about, man, we saved you, now you, boy, oh, sheesh, yeah. there's a whole podcast episode in there. Yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Kat, let's talk about some of the things that you, you've written and you've created. Um, first of all, let's, let's talk about this podcast that I've read about, The Protagonistas. Tell me, tell me about this. Yeah, thanks for asking. So um, the protagonistas or the protagonistas was um, sort of birthed from my experience. Um, so I, I I went from, you know, my, like, as I mentioned that my time in Miami, and then I went to seminary uh, in a very, um, you know, white conservative uh, space, which again, was just very different than what I was raised from. And so for me, as I mentioned earlier, kind of learning about God, um, it, it just felt, I felt very disconnected. You know, a lot of my professors were from like rural farm towns, which is perfectly fine, but it just had nothing to do with my experience, you know? And so when they would talk about God or teach about God, I just felt like I couldn't really connect. Um, and so, you know, I ended up leaving that seminary and, and trying to look for a space where I felt like, you know, could speak more to me as a Cuban and as a woman. Um, and then that's sort of where I began, you know, I met so many women who were doing such incredible work and so many women, uh, women of color in particular, who uh, were really leaning into their cultural identity and their, the spirituality um, that they, you know, that they came from, like in their culture and their family. And, um, and I realized, like, wait a minute, you know, I had spent 
at this point, it had been two years in seminary and I had not learned from a woman. I had not learned from a woman of color in particular. And I, you know, so much of what I understood about theology and understood about God was was just not from, um, yeah, like I, I keep mentioning my experiences. And so I thought, okay, you know, I know I'm meeting so many women and women of color who are doing incredible things. Uh, let me just like mm. have conversations with them. <laughs> you know, I was like, let me just, and then let me just record it. And so, um, and I, I have a line in Awalita Faith that also speaks to this. You know, I thought, you know, what if women, um, particularly marginalized women, what if they were protagonists of their own stories? You know, too many times women are the heroes of someone else's stories or someone else is the hero of their story. But what if they're just like the heroes of their own stories? <laughs> you know, um, and mm. that's where mm. um, the protagonists, you know, it, it, I, originally wanted it to be like a 10 part miniseries. I just wanted to, you know, talk to 10 really amazing women and women of color. And then people just started listening to it. And then I was, you know, they kept asking for more and I was like, okay, let's keep this going. So it's been going for like almost five years now. Um, I've been taking a little break, just, you know, new mom and, and just needed some time off. But, uh, but yeah, I just wanted to hear from women of color, just doing amazing things. I love that. Something that uh, we've been wanting to get more curious about here. So if people want to move at an even faster clip and do a deeper dive and get more than what we're doing, which isn't much and isn't enough, to be honest. It sounds like a great place to go over and hear more of those voices. So I, I love Thank that. You. I love that. Yeah. And what I love about a podcast like that is not only do you get different voices from different perspectives, but you just get this huge range of topics. Like, yeah. like I didn't know I needed to listen to a, a podcast about adoption, mm-hmm. um, but there was in the feed and it's like, Oh wow, that's such an interesting, cause I'm actually adopted, but I feel like my adoption experience is very different than I think most people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was really cool to get that different perspective and also someone from a different culture. Um, but yeah, there's just, there's so many, so many great episodes there about marriage, about, uh, Encanto. I loved the Encanto episode. <laughs> yeah, that one was um, fun. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's great because like week to week, uh, month to month, you're not going to know what's going to show up, but right. then if you're just open to whatever it is, it's like, you're going to learn something. So great, uh, I, yeah. I've really enjoyed your podcast, Thank um, you but so maybe much. tell us, uh, tell us some more about about your book, Abuelita Faith, also available in Spanish, by the way. Yes. Abuelita Faith. I'll link to both of those in our show notes. Um, but I, I just love that it's available because we've had people uh, who are actually mm-hmm. working on translating Bema into Spanish. And oh, cool. we've asked them about like, hey, when we recommend a book, like, can you even get this? Like, is this available? And basically the answer is no mm-hmm. in almost every case. So I love being able to provide that resource that's already in their language. So awesome. Yes. Yeah. I, that was actually part of my contract. I made sure that was in there. Like this book needs to be in Spanish. Um, so I'm super happy. It came out, um, July 19th, which, um, was yesterday, but, um, yeah, when you hear this, it'll be a few months past, but yeah, um, super excited about that. And, and my book, um, so sort of the central question that I ask is, uh, what if the greatest theologians the world has ever known are those whom the world wouldn't consider theologians at all? And so what I'm looking at is just, you know, who are the unnamed and overlooked women in the Bible throughout history and in our, you know, lives that have been, have gone unknown 
noticed or, you know, just overlooked as genuine teachers or genuine theologians, right? Um, we tend to look um, to those who are, quote unquote, formally educated, right? And, and, and nothing against having degrees. I have them, you know, I've been formally um, educated. But, um, but yeah, I, you know, when I read the Bible and particularly the stories of women, you know, I see that there is, you know, God calls so many women blessed who, um, you know, are sometimes even nameless in stories, right? They have no names. Um, I mean, you have the story of Rispa, who she, you know, brings forth rain after a three-year famine, all because of her protest for, you know, the unjust murder of her sons. I mean, so many women um, are just living and surviving and they are, you know, they change history, A, or B, Jesus notice, notices them specifically. I mean, I'm thinking about the Canaanite mother, right, um, who has this theological exchange with Jesus. Um, and these women, you know, their stories go untold. Um, they're just kind of like side stories. And so I'm arguing that, no, what if those are our greatest teachers, right? Instead of looking to just the pulpit and looking to uh, those who are, again, formally educated, you know, the white men who who um, ha- have all of the, the resources and the knowledge, what if we look to those um, who have the life experience, right? And I, I go through my grandmother's story sort of as an example of this and how, you know, she was a theologian. She was a teacher. No, she didn't lead a Bible study or she didn't, you know, preach a sermon. Um, but the way that she lived her life through, and, and I, I argue in Awalita Faith very much so for an embodied spirituality, how she used her body and how she used her wisdom through lived experience um, and how, you know, that is the most, you know, that there's so much, not just so much, but I feel like we can learn the most about God, about the divine, about spirituality from um, these people and stories and, you know, women, marginalized women, our abuelitas, you know, our grandmothers. Uh, so yeah, so and I, I also, one of the other things that I sort of argue is this notion of survival. And I know I, I mentioned it briefly, but, you know, so many of the women in scripture are literally just trying to survive. You know, we love to like spiritualize the stories of like Ruth and Naomi, but it's like, well, they're just trying to like, get me well you know Ruth is just trying to secure herself a husband so that she can live right so that she can you know so um you know a lot of times we spiritualize some of these which is fine I mean I think there's there's a space for spiritualizing them but but at the end of the day a lot of these women were just trying to survive and so I like to argue that you know survival is in and of itself a holy endeavor survival is sacred and we see that over and over and over again in scripture where you know folks are just trying to survive and they are blessed by god for it yeah i actually recently did a study on hagar where i was Mm. just looking at her story Mm. and it's like i've read about hagar so many times but it's always been in the context of the story of abraham right and just looking at her parts of the story and have Abraham coming in and being the side character just mm-hmm. gave me a whole new perspective on it. And it was wild. So even yeah. the, even the women in the Bible whose stories are maybe a little bit bigger, maybe a little right. bit more integrated, we know more about them, like separating out the bigger story around them and just focusing on them is really illuminating too. Right. Yeah. So definitely. yeah, that's, that's great. And I, I love like um, one of the interviews you did on your podcast, somebody was talking about um, one of the chapters in your book where you're telling a story and they were just like so surprised that you told that story. They're like, you know, it would have been so easy for you to tell a different kind of story or tell a more personal reflective story, but you chose this person and, and brought them in. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's what that's what's so great about it. Yeah, I think, um, you know, 
that's part of what I'm trying to do is just illuminate these stories that um, are hard and they're hard to understand and they're complicated and they're, you know, but that's part of it, right? Sitting in that tension and sitting in that really complicated story and letting it move us however it does. You know, I, I love talking about, you know, in, in Awalita Faith, I bring up like the wise women of Tequa and, you know, how we don't really know much about these women, you know, we don't know much about this woman and we just know that like she's wise and, you know, she sought out, you know, for her wisdom. And she ends up like, you know, completely, again, like changing this, the course of history. Um, but again, we don't know much about her and her story is just like this passing story. Um, but yeah, when we just stop and focus and just ask questions about it, even if they're not, you know, specifically answered, you know, there's so much that we can, our theological imaginations can can do, right? There, our theological imaginations can really soar um, when we give ourselves the space to just sit um, in the complicated stories, like you mentioned, in the, the common ones that, um, you know, maybe if we look at it in, in a new light, they might, we might see, find new wisdom. Um, yeah. And, you know, of course, the Bible was written by men for men. And so, you know, we, we don't get a lot. A lot of these women's stories are very short, couple sentences. Um, but I like to just sit in them and just, you know, wonder and just, like I said, let my theological imagination sort of just soar. Uh- you know, you you said a bunch. Of, you may have already answered my next question here. I, I you mentioned in there the the importance of asking questions because these stories are uh, they're complex, they're nuanced, they're hard, they're difficult. They're mm. and so you, you speak of asking questions. And I, one of the things I've enjoyed kind of watching you. Um, I keep saying from a distance because it sounds so weird to be like <laughs> watching you online. Um, but I've really appreciated just part of what I've gotten in your content is the work that you do to turn up the volume on those voices that have been marginalized or silenced. Um, and, and I feel like I'm so far behind you as I, as I just learn from people like you. Um, but what, what advice can you give somebody like myself or any of our other listeners that are just trying to like humbly walk towards a more curious, a more empathetic, like I hear that in what you're talking about. You're talking about curiosity. You're talking about asking questions. You're talking about compassion and 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 caring for people. So you're talking about empathy for those of us that are just trying to have a more compassionate pursuit of mercy and justice in the world. What's some of like the most basic advice you can give to somebody like me who I I'm almost ashamed to say I feel like I'm just barely getting started and feel so ignorant still. Yeah, thanks for asking. So one thing comes to mind and I've shared this, you know, in podcasts before but I always think of this, of how Jesus was a really good guest. And what I mean by that is that Jesus, you know, well, when we think of Christianity, a lot of times, like, you know, being a, a, you know, hospitality or being a good host is, you know, a value that we have or something that we're taught that we should pursue. Um, But Jesus didn't really like, he wasn't a host a lot of times. Like he went to people's houses and he sat at unfamiliar tables, right? And he just like learned and listened. And um, you know, obviously he taught, but you know, I just like to think of Jesus like coming into like someone else's mm. home and just sitting at their table and eating what they offer. And, you know, and I, going back to this idea of an abuelita theology or an abuelita faith, you know, I was always a guest at my grandmother's table. You know, my grandmother mm. was a host and it was her table. 
And anytime someone would come to the house, and her house was always full of guests, right? Because she cooked and she uh, she sewed and she had her own sewing uh, little business from home, you know, and, and folks from the community would come and she would make clothes for them and, and she would cook for them and, and all of these things. And, but it was her table, right? And we would just sit and whatever she wanted to feed us, we ate. And she, you know, she, she was the, she, she was the, the dominant one at the table, right? Um, and so when I think of Jesus being a guest, I think of, and, and, you know, my book talks a lot about this notion of decolonizing or, or decolonizing our view of, of Christianity or spirituality, you know, and I think, you know, it's a very colonial mindset to think that we have everything there is to teach, right? That we are the teachers and that we are the the only hosts and that folks have to come sit at our tables and that, you know, again, I've been talking about like the formal degrees and all that, you know, but but that's the way that we're positioned, right? As leaders that we're positioned to be the ones to teach and to, to lead. Um, but what if we were just like really good guests like Jesus? Like what if we just sat at unfamiliar tables um, and just allowed us you know, allowed ourselves to be taught uh, with no agenda or no, you know, so I think about that a lot because um, I think about, you know, what would it mean for Christians, um, those with power and those with privilege um, to give up that power and privilege in order to let someone else be um, the one with power and privilege. And then that sense to be to be a host. Right. And, and to just be to be a guest to those who are um without power or privilege. And there's another thing that kind of goes along with that. So I, you know, like I've mentioned, I'm a new mom and I listen to, you know, I read a lot of like parenting advice or parenting little blogs or whatever. And one of my favorite little things that I've read recently, and it's like, you know, when you have a toddler, my, my baby's still like a very small baby, but you know, I'm reading stuff about when she's a toddler and like when you have a toddler and you know, they're kind of playing with something or they're, you know, they have a little toy and they're kind of into their toy we're kind of it's inst- it's instinct for us as adults as the ones who know everything who have the knowledge right to come up to like our kid and constantly like hey what is that No, this is how you play with that you know like trying to like guide them and how to oh how many do you see do you see one two three you know and constantly be just trying to to use that opportunity as a learning opportunity without trusting that what if they're already learning? What if they're already like their minds are doing something? You don't have to step in. You can kind of just like let them be, right? And so some of the things that I read, it says that, you know, instead of asking them how many or asking them to count or to tell you a color, just say nothing, right? Then <laughs> I just love that. I felt like it's been such a good um, piece of advice, like just say nothing. Um, and I think about that also when I think of this, you know, this this notion of being a good guest, you know, and, and today I actually posted so I, I tweeted, you know, Jesus, he asked like 300 questions, in, you know, like there's like an account of like hundreds and hundreds of questions that Jesus asked, you know, um, but he was just like curious, right? But like, he didn't try and like, all the time, just give a response or have all the answers or, you know, he was just kind of letting folks figure it out. Right. Um, so yeah, so I think of being a good guest, or I think of being curious, I think of, Maybe sometimes saying absolutely nothing and trusting that the Holy Spirit or, you know, trusting that God is speaking to folks. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but those are some of the things that come to mind. Uh, answers it uh, like unbelievably well. Very, it's just convicting. It's such a great, the guest comment. I'm, I'd never realized or considered how allowing yourself to be the guest actually allows you to center that other. I mean, part of what I'm learning about is I always just, 
I'm a part of the normative experience. I have the, uh, I have the white male experience in life and I'm just so used to being the center of gravity and always centering myself. And I'm, I'm learning one of the best things I can do is to allow others to be centered. And I never thought about the relationship of, especially Jesus being our model. Mm-hmm. I mean, if anybody had something to say all the time, right. if anybody <laughs> in, in all of human history would have had like the excuse to be like, no, I always have something to give, right? <laughs> to be the center of every experience, it would have been Jesus. Right. And yet Jesus He's routinely like, right. in, in Pharisees' homes, in the homes of women, in the homes of outsiders and and rejects, social rejects, like he allows himself to be served so that they can, I, I what a fascinating fantastic picture that I'm going to take with me. That's, that's so great. Yeah. Like I, I know I think of the woman at Bethany who poured the oil over him and he just kind of sat there quietly and let her do it. Right. Like, I love that. Like he just like, just sat there and just like, okay, just do this thing that you feel like you need to do or you want to do or, you know, and, and yeah. And and then I, I also think of how we, we constantly hear and, and, you know, privilege and power, you know, there are varying levels of it. And I consider myself as someone who upholds certain aspects of privilege and power because I'm educated and I, you know, my documentation status and all of these things. Um, but even, you know, I we always hear like, you know, be the voice for the voiceless or, you know, speak up on behalf of those who don't have a voice. And it's like, everyone has a voice. I mean, granny, not everyone, right? right? But like people yep. have voices. Like maybe yep. your job is to say nothing <laughs> or, you know, to be a, a really good guest so that they their voice may be heard, right? Um, so I think, yeah, it kind of goes, goes along with all of that. And, and as you mentioned, like Jesus is the perfect model of that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I was also thinking about how you're talking about um, watching, you know, kids play with toys or whatever. And I have a, an almost four-year-old and a one-year-old. And so I'm actually getting this interesting perspective where I've been through with one child and those toys were, you know, forgotten about or whatever and put away. And now they're being brought back out for my second child Mm -hmm. and seeing how my first child tries to either just take over entirely (laughs) and not let the other one play or, um, like, like different toys where it's like, okay, here's what you do with this. And Mm -hmm. just, you know, and I do try to like step back and let them play, but it's like, okay, here's what this can do. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then he doesn't do that at all. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, well, I guess he's not going to do that. Sure. And, but then bring it out the second time and he just walks up, hasn't seen the thing in two years and just does exactly Mm, as it's designed. It's like, that is so interesting that he just like somehow (laughs) knows that. Right. Um, so yeah, just giving, giving our kids the opportunity to, to do that because, you know, is there really a right way to play with a toy? Like at at different times in life, I think it's going to be a different way of engaging it. So I, I love that illustration. Yeah. So we feel the need to have to step in and, you know, just as those in that relationship with power, right. To teach and to show, and this is how, but they're like, look, I got it. You know, I'm, this is how I want to play with it right now. And this is how I'll play with it in two years. You know, like I got it just, you know, and it's a matter of just yeah. trusting, trusting your kids, but just trusting folks in general, right. Trusting that God is working in folks in different ways. I mean, just to give obviously a more spiritual, you know, general idea of it, but yeah, it's the same, same idea. Well, and, and saying like uh, the kingdom of God belongs to the children. Yes. It's like, okay, so what really, like we need to be stepping back and learning from the way they're engaging this because it's like, they're playing with it quote unquote wrong. Right. And yet they're having so much fun. There's so much joy. They're so proud of it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Kat, tell me a little bit about the people you work with. I assume that, uh, I mean, I don't know if you have like a, a formal team, but like, you know, you, you don't work by yourself necessarily. You're part of different groups and communities and whatever. So, um, tell me something about, about those people, um, who, and maybe some of them have already been mentioned, but, um, tell me about them. And then what are some things that you have learned from them? Yeah. So, I mean, the first that I can think of is just, you know, my community, my Cuban community, um, you know, my Latinx community, um, and really just, um, you know, your question is, what have I learned from them? I mean, what, literally just what it means to be human, what it means to survive um, and how complicated that is. Right. Um, I think of just the way that wisdom looks so different in so many different circumstances and so many different spaces. It's funny. I actually think of this in, in terms of, of scripture. I think it's in Proverbs. Is it 24, maybe verses five and six, where it says, like, you know, don't. Um, uh, don't answer a fool according to his folly or you'll be just like him, something like that. And then the very next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly or else, you know, something, something, right? It's like the complete like opposite instruction, like the verse right next to it. And I just absolutely adore that because I feel like that is the perfect picture of just life, right? Um, and that's something that, you know, I've learned so much from my community is just how wisdom is so contextual, right? Um, and also just so much from my community of, of how so many of us are looking back to and, and by my community, I also mean just a, a lot of like my Latinx friends that, that are writers and that, you know, we're, we're in groups together and we, you know, kind of learn from each other and and how we're all looking back, you know, to the faith of our ancestors and, and really just trying to, when I say decolonize, you know, that's really what I'm trying to do is look backwards, you know, which again, is a completely biblical idea, right? Like God is constantly telling God's people, remember, remember your ancestors, remember who you came from. And that's really where this idea of an Awalita theology came from, right? Um, it's in first, first Timothy where Paul says, you know, I remember your ancestors, right? Your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Um, and mm -hmm. he sort of like builds this entire thing off of his mother and his grandmother, you know? So that's where this idea of Aulita theology came from. And really so much of what I'm trying to do just within my own community, you know, many of us are looking back to the faith of our ancestors, looking back to the faith of, you know, like what did, what was, Christianity like in Cuba, you know, when it first arrives, like what, what, how did, how did we get to where we are? You know, and of course, a lot of it is tied to colonialism and, and imperialism and empire. Um, and so what does it mean to detangle ourselves from that? And what does it mean to hold on to the things that are life-giving and beautiful? And what does it mean to let go of that, which, um, you know, is the opposite, right? Um, and so I've just been learning so much about that, you know, um, what it means to, to honor our ancestors, um, what it means to look back to the faith from which we come from, what it means to remember. Um, and many of us in my community are on that journey um, as we are, you know, reconnecting with what it means to be people of color, what it means to be, um, you know, folks who, who don't have predominantly white experiences or folks who, um, you know, just don't, you know, just have all sorts of different, um, you know, backgrounds. And so that's a lot of what we're, um, what we're learning, what we're wrestling with right now. All right. So tell us about this next book you're working on and what is it about and what are you talking about there? I'm, I'm assuming that you're excited to talk about this new work that you're, you're putting out into the world. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, so th we actually, my publisher and I, my publisher Brazos Press, we're really excited about, you know, reclaiming this devotional space, right? Um, there's a lot of Ooh. devotionals out there, but 
we wanted to do something different. And, and, and by we, I mean, you know, I really, really wanted to do just something fun and, and different and exciting um, when it comes to a devotional. I wanted a devotional that um, asks us to to think deeply and to be curious about things that we may maybe have never thought of. And um, yeah, so I, I look at, there's five sections and I just look at scripture through um, the feminine, the body. Um, I look at scripture through nature. Um, so I'm looking at Bible verses who, you know, t- who talk about nature. And I just want to um, invite folks into an embodied spirituality um, through yeah, through scripture and just, um, just different experiences in my own life. Uh, do you know when it will be published uh, next summer? So there's still a little bit, so I'll, I'm sure I'll be talking about it more and more as it gets closer, but we're still in the beginning stages. Gotcha. Well, I will, we do have a lot of people who listen, you know, pretty shortly after release, but also lots of people who are coming to it later. So whenever that is available, I will put the link for that in the show notes as awesome. well. Thank um, you so much. tell me about like, I don't know, your your experience um in this world of restorative justice uh i think in a lot of ways like looking ahead to that can feel a little bit hopeless like we're never going to get there um so maybe you can encourage us a little bit on on progress that you're seeing in that world and um you know maybe make some suggestions on how we could um help further that cause well um so I think of one thing. So, you know, Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun, right? But then I also think of how Octavia Butler says, but there are new suns. And I feel like, you know, and I, <laughs> and I do feel like, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of, of, of new sun moments, right? Um, there's, there's just a lot going on. Um, but I feel... Yeah, I I feel hopeful. I feel hopeful about where we're headed. Um, I feel hopeful, you know, about those of us who are just been given more and more opportunities to share our stories and to to share, you know, our to kind of create new theologies, you know, even for me to be able to say like, this is what an Awelita theology is, you know, that's so exciting for me. And I, I know that it's blessed a lot of people in my community, um, because not just, you know, I didn't come up with it, but I was able to, you know, again, in community, come up with it, right? We were able to, like we say in in Spanish, in conjunto, like we do this together, right? And that's what theology has done. Theology has done together. We do this um, around the table. We, we, you know, we do theology um, in community. And so, yeah, I feel hopeful about that. Um, and as far as like any encouragement about what I'm seeing, um, I I'm seeing, so actually I thought about this. I, one of uh, my favorite episodes of the Bema podcast is the episode of Jonah. And I, I listened to it and it just got me on this whole rabbit trail. And I, I recite it in my upcoming book, but it's this idea that God asks Jonah, um, you know, is your anger a good thing? Right. And I think that's such a good question. And so I bring that up because, you know, there's a lot of anger right, in a lot of places. But I think, you know, if we echo that question that God asks Jonah, you know, is your anger a good thing? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Sometimes our anger is a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. it isn't, but sometimes it mm-hmm. is. And so I think that that, you know, when I think of, of just for the you know, what I'm seeing or any encouragement, I think, you know, as we move forward and we're discerning, you know, is our anger a good thing or is it not a good thing? 
I don't, I, it, sometimes it is, like I said, sometimes it isn't, but I love that we, and that God even invites us to wrestle with that question and invites us to wrestle with, yeah, like, you know, we should be angry about some things. And I see a lot of anger that to me is, I think, a great thing, you know. Um, and I think it's led us to conversations like these. I think it's led us to, um, yeah, to, to, again, like I mentioned, you know, develop and talk about a, a theology of Abuelitas. And so, yeah, those are some of the things that I'm I'm excited and encouraged about. Well, honestly, when I hear people that don't come from my experience or my center of gravity and they're hopeful – that's giving me an unbelievable amount of hope because I, man, if they're hopeful, then I have reason to be hopeful because mm. they would, they would have even more reason to not be, to right. not be hopeful. I'm learning from that as well, and mm, it's good. It's just good to hear you to hear you share. I want to go. I want to ask you this question. It's going to sound like an earlier question that I asked you, Kat, but I loved your answer earlier so much. I'm going to see what what you have for me again. I'm going to rephrase the question <laughs> a second time. Um, but uh, I. If I want to keep learning from these things, I feel like I want to keep learning from voices like yours, from other voices, from other experiences and other stories. When I get the opportunity to – I mean you talked about allowing yourself to be a guest. Mm -hmm. If if you find yourself as a guest, is there a question that I don't realize I, sh I could be asking, a missed opportunity or should be asking or um, – when I, when I go to engage, like I'll sit in these moments and I'll like, I want to learn from this person – and I don't know how to ask the next question. Do you have like that gateway question of, how do I, and I don't know if I knew I would ask it, but what is that? <laughs> like I sit in this moment mm -hmm. um, where I am a guest and I realize I'm sitting with somebody that has a holy story and I don't even know because all my questions are going to come from my experience and my perspective and my point of reference. Is there a helpful um, question that I can learn how to ask people that allows them to open up and give me the gift of who they are? Yeah, you know, I am not exactly sure. Only, and I say that only because, you know, every person and every story and every, you know, relationship is so different. Um as far as just a general question, and I'll answer your question more specifically in a second, but as far as just a general question, I'm always seeking to ask, and again, you know, I have varying levels of privilege, and so I'm always seeking to ask, where can I or what can I learn from that I I don't expect, I haven't learned from before, I haven't sought out to learn? And that could be something as literally as simple as a tree, right? Like, I mean, I have this large mm -hmm. oak tree in my backyard and I, I live in Nashville now and I've only lived here for a little over a year, but I've lived here for an entire year where I've seen all four seasons. And coming from Miami, I never, you know, saw the seasons. And so I have seen this tree die. I've seen this tree come to life. I've seen this tree bud and flourish. And I've, you know what I, and so there are so many, I feel like lessons that I've learned from seeing this tree go through its life cycle, right? Of life mm -hmm. and death and rebirth. Um, and so that's been a teacher for me. And so just in, in general, a question that we can ask, um, not to a specific person, but you know, what really, where are we learning or what are we learning or whom are we learning from that we wouldn't expect to be a teacher? the oak tree behind my house, right? That's just one thing. Or my child, right, as an eight-month-old baby. Or, you know, um, 
but then more specifically, when I think of, you know, um, just what can I ask a person? I don't know a specific question, but all I can think of is a say nothing, right? (laughs) Just let folks say, just let it be what it is. Um, or B, just tell me more, you know, and that's not necessarily a question, but it's a posture of curiosity, right? To, to just sit there mm-hmm. and invite someone to share more as they're comfortable, of course, but for you to be a safe space so that someone is free to be their full selves. Um, and a lot of times that does involve not specifically saying anything other than just offering your presence, your bodily presence as a safe space. And I think that, um, you know, someone, I remember I once shared the, this, the idea of the being a good guest and someone said, well, to be a guest, you have to be invited and you have to be wanted. And I thought that that was such a good point, right? Cause you can't just like yeah. storm into somewhere and say, well, I'm your guest, right? You have to be mm. wanted and invited. And I think in order to be wanted mm. and invited as a guest, I think it, you know, the, it's all about your posture and it's all about, you know, your posture of humility, your posture of genuinely, of genuine curiosity of wanting to learn. And I think that that's probably the biggest thing that we can offer um if we're if we're wanting to be good guests right is to be wanted right but you know folks will want us around if we're safe spaces and so i think that um yeah offering ourselves in that way i'm sorry i didn't answer your question exactly no (laughs) i I asked it because i didn't know where it would go and it it was just so again just so well said and and yes uh, it's just perfect. Perfect. Um, just more thoughts on guests. And in order to be a guest, you have to be in, invited and wanted. And man, would that be a prayer that I would be the kind of person that people would. Yeah, that mm-hmm. that alone is convicting. That's mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that, Kat. So what can we, um, how can people support the work that you do? Obviously, buy your books and those kind of things. Is there anything else people can do? Is there anything that people need to know? Like what kind of this is your shot. We love to give people like an opportunity to just be like, here's this thing that I do and here's how you can help me. Let's, let's intersect. Let's, let's overlap our networks and and help each other do the work that they're doing. So what is it that we need to know about what you've got coming up and how we can help? Yeah. Thanks. Um, I mean, really, you know, listening to my podcast, buying my books, as you said, leaving reviews, um, you know, leaving reviews for my book and for my podcast, um, you know, and overall just, yeah, sharing, um, sharing something that resonates with you. I mean, you can go to my website, catarmis.com, uh, social media, cat underscore armis. Um, and yeah, I mean, I love to connect with folks on there. So I would love to to have you come and, and read and engage. Love it. What's your favorite social network? Well, it, was Twitter for a long while. And then Twitter, you know, just became Twitter, just got a little exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was always that, but I don't know, maybe I just, I'm I'm more tired. (laughs) So I I've been uh, on Instagram a little bit more. I feel like it's been a safer space lately, but I don't know, that's shifting too. So who knows? (laughs) Yeah, that is the trouble. I think Marty and I are still holding on to Twitter, but I mean, it just (laughs) seems like everything's on fragile ground. So who knows? But yeah. Um, well, so I'll have, uh, catarmis.com in our show notes. Um, and maybe I'll put your social media links as well. Um, any other way that people should find you or get connected? Um, I would say, you know, you're, you're on hiatus from your podcast right now, but definitely check out the protagonistas podcast. There's a big back catalog of 
interviews to listen to if if you haven't uh started that back up yet by the time we publish our episode so i would definitely encourage people to do that yep thank you so much okay marty any other questions or thoughts before we close it down i'm just grateful uh just grateful cat to have you on um uh, a helpful conversation um for me just personally let alone everybody else but selfishly i just really enjoyed the conversation today and uh i'll be better for it but uh hopefully everything keeps going well with your future writing endeavors and everything else but yeah i just really appreciate you taking time to be with us and talk to us today yeah thank you so much for having me this was fun okay everyone if you want to get a hold of marty you can find him on twitter for the time being at marty solomon i'm at eibcb uh, go to catarmis.com for everything cat armis her books her podcast her social media is all there um, you can find more details about our show at bamadasdiscipleship.com. So thanks for joining us on the Bama podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Mm-hmm.